Well, this morning we come to the second of our studies in the book of Jonah. Last time we looked at verses 1 and 2 and we had an introduction to this book. We saw Jonah's background as a prophet in the northern kingdom. We saw that he was one of the earlier prophets chronologically. He came probably just after the time of Elisha and around about the same time as the prophets Hosea and Amos. So we saw something of Jonah in verse 1. And then in verse 2, we also saw that God had great redemptive purposes for a Gentile city out with the borders of Israel. Nineveh at that time was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. That empire was the up-and-coming world superpower. And this was its capital city. The city was known for its size. It was known for its great fortifications. It had 100-foot walls that were thick and seemingly impenetrable. But it was a city also known for its wickedness. And so through Jonah, God was bringing a warning of judgment if they did not repent. And God did so in mercy. He brought that warning to that people in mercy. That they would be given time in order to repent of their wicked ways and to seek the Lord. And God always does that when he brings those warnings in his words. Whether people read them, whether they hear them through a preacher. It's grace wherever there is a church faithfully proclaiming the word of God and calling the community round about to repentance. And that was Jonah's mission for this city of Nineveh. So we left off last time seeing that Jonah had been given the command in verse 2 to arise and to go. So this morning we're going to look at, with God's help, we hope and pray, verse 3. Sometimes as we go through this book, we will cover a number of verses in one sermon, but sometimes we will find that there is enough for us in just one verse to consider in one sermon. And that's the case this morning. We see in verse 3 that it begins with the word but. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. And it says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was told to arise and go and technically he did arise and go. It's just that he went in the wrong direction. It's a reminder to us that partial obedience is no real obedience at all. And this isn't even partial obedience. God's not going to be fooled by our own notions of technicalities. He arose and went in the completely wrong direction. This is just pure disobedience. And that's what we see in this verse this morning and we're going to consider. Jonah's disobedience. And this should serve as a warning for us, both as believers and as unbelievers. It should serve as a warning to us against disobedience but of course where we have this we also have the inverse present as well because this verse as well as warning us against disobedience 
also presents us with a call to obedience. A call to obedience to God. And so we see Jonah being disobedient to God's call. And the Bible is very open and honest with us throughout. It shows us the faults and the failings of the Lord's people. And we see that even God can use them and can work through their faults and failings, which doesn't excuse them, but shows his grace and his power at work. So we see, first of all, in verse 3, that Jonah runs from God. He runs to this place called Joppa with the intention of going to Tarshish. Now Joppa was in the opposite direction from Nineveh. If you were looking on a map of Israel today, you would see a port city called Jaffa. It's the same place. That's where Joppa is. So it's on the coast because Jonah hopes to get a boat. Now, if Jonah was at home at the time, his hometown we saw from Second Kings was a place called Gath-Hefer, which was in Galilee, not far from Nazareth. Well, it was a 60-mile journey from Gath-Hefer to Joppa. So it wasn't just that there was a boat there next to Jonah for him to jump into. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. And then, of course, he's in the boat and he can't turn back. Actually, it meant for Jonah several days' travel in the wrong direction. So it wasn't just an instantaneous thing. He had time to think about what he was doing. He had time to repent. But he didn't. He intentionally set out on that journey down to Joppa, first of all. He had a few days to travel to get to the city before he could get a boat. And it shows us that the Christian can backslide for a time. That it's really we just fall immediately into sin. The backsliding can take place. And there's times we can know we're backsliding as well. We can know we're not where we should be in the Christian life. That our spiritual desires have waned. We've allowed sin to creep in to our hearts. And yet we can still do nothing. We can know it's there, but yet we're not exercised about it. There's not an urgency to put things right. And it's only by God's grace that we are brought to our senses and stirred up again to repent <coughs> and to seek him. So it was ongoing with Jonah. He was determined to disobey. He was determined to go to Joppa. And he continued in that determination all the journey to Joppa and then onto the boats. And of course, he had a reason for going particularly to Joppa. And that's, as we say, it was on the coast because he wanted in a boat to get even further away. He was heading to a place called Tarshish. Now, it's believed that this place was actually in Spain. And it was about two, it was about 2,000 miles west of where Jonah was at Joppa. So Jonah had been sent, we saw last, last time, 500 miles to the northeast. But he went the opposite way. And he was heading as far as he could get in the opposite direction. The point is that Tarshish was a very distant place. A real place. But it was very distant. It was on the very edges of the known world at the time. And Jonah wanted to get there. The city is mentioned in Psalm 72. A psalm which shows us the extent of Christ's reign, how his reign 
is over all the earth. And so it speaks of the kings of Tarshish and the isles, the distant isles, who will come and pay homage to Christ the King. Tarshish is mentioned again in Isaiah chapter 66, right at the end of that prophecy. Again listed as one of those far off places that will see the Lord's glory when his glory will be declared among the Gentiles. And so Jonah's trying to run there. Why? Because he's trying to run from God. We're told that. We're told that twice in the verse, actually. He's trying to run from the presence of the Lord. And of course, that's something we can never do, is it? That's complete foolishness. And we've been singing about this in Psalm 139. We can't escape him. There is nowhere we can flee from him. Adam and Eve foolishly tried it in the garden when they fell into sin. They tried to hide from the Lord when they heard him walking in the cool of the day. One writer says, trying to get away from God is like trying to get away from air. The point is, he's all around us, he's everywhere. We can't. But you see, the thing is, Jonah would have known this. He would have known Psalm 139. He was a prophet schooled in the word of God. He would have known he could never escape from God's presence. There was nowhere where God would not see him or would not know what he was doing. So one writer says that because we cannot flee from God's omnipresence, what Jonah was trying to flee from was what he calls God's felt presence. You see, where Jonah is trying to get away from is where God especially was. And where God especially dwelt in the world at that time was in Israel. Yes, present everywhere, all of the time, the infinite, eternal God. But where was his presence most revealed and most manifest? It was among the people of Israel, his chosen people. That was where God dwelt, in the temple, as he'd always been in the camp of Israel, and then in the tabernacle, and then in the temple in Jerusalem. So in Israel was where God was worshipped. In Israel was where God was working through his chosen people. It's where the prophets proclaimed his word. It's where the sacrifices were offered. It's where God was especially present. And Jonah wanted to get away from there because he did not want to be faithful and obedient to God's call and he couldn't handle being in that place. Friends, one of the reasons that people do not go to church today is because they know they'll meet with God. Some say there is no God and see worship as a waste of time. But actually there are plenty of people who do not go because they know fine well that God will be there. They believe he exists. They know they can't escape him wherever they go in the world, but they know that church will be different. There'll be something different about entering that worship service because his presence is especially manifest there as he has promised. The holy place which he has his abode, no longer confined to the temple in Jerusalem, but now wherever the saints are gathered in the name of Christ, that's where God is. 
And there is something that the carnal mind and heart cannot deal with. They're uncomfortable. It makes them shudder. Because they're still at enmity with God. And so they cannot be there. They cannot bring themselves to be there. And they know that if they go there, they'll be confronted with their sinful lives. As they encounter his glorious majesty. As he reigns in the midst of his people. As they worship him. And even the holy lives of his people. Holy lives of love and joy. Will make them uncomfortable. As they know that there is something missing. From their lives. And as we seek to. Welcome people in. To church. We have to accept that. Only the spirit of God can change them. Only the spirit of God can make them accept this. And that does not mean we dumb down or dilute church or the message in any way. No, what people need is not somewhere like the world, but somewhere completely different from the world. Somewhere where they can know they're in the holy presence of God. And so we, our worship we will always seek to make as reverent and as God-honouring and as biblical as possible. Because that's what sinners need to encounter. Not a club that they can find anywhere else in the world. But somewhere where the people of God are crying out for God to be in their midst. That's what we need as believers. And that's what every sinner needs to encounter. So Jonah flees from the Lord's presence. He flees from where God is working in Israel. And he thinks that he's going to get out of the work he's been called to by moving away. He's essentially saying to God, you can't expect me to preach in Nineveh if I'm in Tarshish. If I'm over that distance of sea, if I'm so far away, there's no way I can go to Nineveh. You see, friend, to run away from your God-given duty is to run away from God himself. To despise his commandments is to despise God himself. And what did Jonah expect to do? Did he expect to alter God's purposes? Did he expect to throw a spanner in the works so that God would have to rethink how he could get his word to Nineveh? Absolutely futile. Of course not. God knows the end from the beginning. He's declared it. And we never thwart his purposes. Do we ever think that? That God will just change his mind or his plans if we dig our heels in enough? No. We cannot escape him. We cannot escape what he has determined to do with us and through us and to us. So Jonah wants to get out of God's presence. And friends, are there not times when we are tempted to sin? When we find our hearts are more latched on to disobedience. And the last thing we want is God's presence as well. And we can actually think, if only God didn't exist or didn't see me, then I could give in to this sin. Then I could do this, watch this, think this. You see, Jonah couldn't stay in Israel because... He knew he was disobeying and he knew he'd be confronted with guilt all around 
if he remained in Israel. He knew it would be unbearable. So he must get out of where God is. But friend, is there ways in which you've been running from God in your own life as well? Perhaps publicly, not coming to church or attending less regularly because your spiritual appetite has waned and you're making excuses because you don't have a heart or a desire for God. Perhaps it's privately that you're running from God because you know there will have to be repentance, you know there will have to be a coming back to God in sorrow and there will have to be a change and there will be sins you will no longer be able to harbour. They'll have to go from your thoughts, from your heart. And so this has resulted in prayerlessness. You can't bring yourself to pray because you know the sin is there. You can't bring yourself to open the Bible for fear of what you might find God saying to you. You can't bring yourself to do it because there's unconfessed sin. Because you know the worldliness will have to go. It can be true for you as a believer, backsliding perhaps just subtly and unseen by men, but known by God. You don't want God's presence because you don't want holiness in some area. You want sin to be kept there because you enjoy it. And you lament that your heart enjoys it, but you still want it. But as an unbeliever as well, and by an unbeliever I mean any who do not profess themselves to be believers. Are you running? You know that confessing Christ, you know that coming to him will mean a change of life. But you won't do it. You don't want God's presence. So we see that Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. He was disobedient to the call God gave him. What this verse also shows us is that disobedience is a lack of trust. When we disobey God, it is a lack of trust. Because remember who called Jonah? It was the Lord, the covenant God, the covenant-keeping God who is faithful to his people. It was certainly an unusual assignment that Jonah was given. No other prophets were called to go to the Gentile lands at that time. It was unusual, but it was God's assignment. And that's all that should have mattered for Jonah. And that's all that should matter for us as believers as well. Whatever the commandment is, whatever the call is, if it comes from the Lord, well, don't we trust him? Don't we trust that the best thing will always be to be obedient to him? Remember who called Jonah. A way would have been made for him. All the resources he required for that journey and for speaking in that city would have been provided for him, as we see they were later on. The words would be given him to speak if only he would obey. Whatever the command is, whatever the call is, all that matters is that it comes from God. And that should be all we need. We take that on faith. Remember, the prophet Hosea called to, to marry a, a harlot. 
a hard task, a hard call. But it was God's call. All the other prophets who were called to, to go to places where their word would not be well received. Isaiah was told in chapter 6, the people's hearts would be hardened. They would not see, they would not believe. He was, had to go because God called him. So Jonah runs. There have been times also where the people of God have been reluctant to go. Moses and Jeremiah both made excuses. Moses made excuses about his speech. Jeremiah made excuses about his age. But they still went in the end. Jonah just didn't go. It's one thing to be reluctant. It's one thing to have questions about what God calls us to do. But this is sheer defiance on Jonah's part. Let's remember also that disobedience is offensive to God. Because in disobedience we're actually saying that we are God. In disobedience what we're doing is presuming to tell God how to run the affairs of the world. Disobedience is saying we know better than God. He says do this, don't do this. When we disobey we're saying actually no, I know better. Disobedience is saying, I am God. I know better than God. And if we're saying we know better than God, we're saying we are more worthy to be worshipped than God. God gives us his commands. And in foolishness, we can think that what we then have to do is view his commands in light of our own wisdom. And that we are in the judgment seat. And his commands are before us. And we'll determine whether they're worthy to be obeyed or not. We'll decide in their own wisdom, mm, is, this, is this right just now? Or does my heart think otherwise? Friends, we're not here to judge God's commands. We're here to obey them. We can remember that his commands proceed from infinite wisdom. We can always trust them. We should always go in them, no matter what the world tells us, no matter what our own hearts tells us. They're deceitful. Above all else. So Jonah. Runs from them. Because remember God is the lawgiver as well. We're not. He is. He is the creator. To whom we owe obedience. He is the one. Who. Gets to say and determine. What our lives will be like. So where does Jonah go? He goes, notice, down to Joppa. And actually what we're going to see as we go through Jonah is that he's always going downwards at this stage. It's down to Joppa. It's down into the ship. It's down into the bottom of the ship to sleep. It's down into the sea. It's down into the very depths in the fish's belly. He's always going down as he disobeys. You see, what's it sh what the book is showing us is Jonah's spiritual departure from God. His fellowship with God is broken by his disobedience. He, gave, he had great privilege as a prophet, one who would know and receive the word of God. But friends, with disobedience, we break that fellowship. 
It says in Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. But when we sin, we forfeit that fellowship with God. That does not mean that God cuts himself off from us, but it means he withdraws that sense of his favour and fellowship from us when we sin. So that our hearts will see again how empty this world is, how it cannot truly satisfy, but only the divine can. He does that to rebuke us and to bring us back again. We will sever that close fellowship when we harbour and embrace sin. And actually, if we want to grow as Christians, well, that spiritual process, that deeper fellowship, it will only come through faith shown by obedience. Faith, receiving God, desiring God, and that faith will be demonstrated in obedience to God. Jonah gets to Joppa. He finds a ship. We'll come back to that. But we see he also paid the fare. Disobedience to God will always cost you as well. It will always cost you. Primarily it will cost you spiritual blessings. But there will also be temporal benefits as well. That we will forfeit when we disobey God. It was always better to have obeyed from the start. Wouldn't it have been better for Jonah to have obeyed from the start? To save himself this storm, the fish and everything else. Likewise with us as well. Perhaps we have regrets. I'm sure we all do. Sins we've fallen into. Things we wish we hadn't done or said or had done or said. We wish we had taken another course, which we see now was a better course. And our hearts lied to us. Well, friends, we can't go back now. We can only go forward. And when Jonah was spat up on the shore, it was forward he went. So how will you go forward today? What will it mean for confession of sin? What will it mean for repentance? What will it mean for prayer for Bible reading, for church attendance. How will you go forward today? What can change? What needs to change? Are there any areas of our lives where we know we are being disobedient to God's will? Are we refusing to change? Is it in our work life? Is it in our home life? Is it in our relations with others? Is it in our thought life? Is it in church here? Or are there things we are omitting to do that we know we should be in any of these areas? <coughs> so any way in which we are doing a Jonah, we're running and we know we're running. And we know we must turn back. If you are still an unbeliever this morning, well, you are being disobedient because Acts 17 tells us that God calls everyone everywhere to repent. He commands all to repent and trust in his son. The gospel is a command to be obeyed. And actually your disobedience in this way is a lack of trust. Not believing in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life and not confessing Christ is a lack of trust in him. You're saying he can't do it. You're saying he can't save you. You're saying he can't change you. You're saying he can't keep you. And often people don't profess because they worry that they'll fall back into sin. And they say they don't trust themselves to keep in the way. 
Well, you're not meant to be trusting yourself. You're meant to be trusting him. And only he can keep you, but he will for all his people. He promises that. Will you take him at his word and believe that he can save you, he can change you, and he can keep you to the end? If you're still running from him today, well, there's a saviour that you're called and you're commanded to trust in and to surrender your life to. There's a church, his church, which you're called to commit yourself to. And there's a table, his table, which you're called to sit at and to remember him. But let us remember also as believers that disobedience is a lack of trust. Obedience may be the hard way. It might be the unpopular option that will cost you in this life. Trust him. Walk by faith, not by sight. It's not about this life, is it? It's about eternity. We're told that broad is the road that leads to destruction. Wide is the gate that they pass through, but narrow is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. It is unpopular. It is swimming against the tide of this world. And it will cost you, and it has cost the saints things on this earth in every age. But if he says do it, and we love him, that's what we must do. One of the very basics of Christian discipleship is doing what God says, isn't it? You do what God tells you. That's one of the main rules for living the Christian life. It's as simple as that. Not to get saved. That's through faith in Christ alone. But as Christians, if we love him, we obey his commandments. Do as he tells you. As now what Jesus' mother told those at the wedding at Cana when they were out of wine. Do as he tells you. There's the Christian life there. Following in the steps of the master. And as we open our Bibles each day as believers, do we do so with the intention of obeying? When we read the commands, when we see what God requires of us, what our duty is as believers, do we do so praying, teach me to obey Lord, help me to love your law. And one of the dangers we can fall into with obedience is that we compare ourselves to others. Now there's a good way of comparing ourselves to others. We are told to be examples to one another and to model the Christian life for one another. So there might be an older Christian or something you see another Christian doing well and we think, well, that's a rebuke to me, that's an encouragement to me. I should be doing that or I shouldn't be doing that but there's a way we can compare ourselves to others and grow proud and that's when we think we're doing better than others and we focus on one thing that we do that they don't do or we focus on one thing that they do that we don't do and we think that we are better than them when actually there might be hundreds of other areas when they are much more faithful than us but all our egos needed was one thing to think that we're bettering them in. And then we think we are the super Christian. If we should compare ourselves to any other created thing, then we should compare ourselves to the angels in heaven because we're commanded to pray, thy will be done as it is in heaven. The angels are poised 
waiting to carry out God's commands and they will do so perfectly when they are given. And they're an example to us in that as well. And of course, the ultimate one whom we are to look to and learn from in our obedience is Christ himself, who of course lived a life of perfection on this earth, whose meat and drink was to do his Father's will, who delighted to do his Father's will. So may, as we pursue obedience and learn to obey more, may it never come with swollen, prideful hearts that think we're doing much better than we really are. Part of the reason for our disobedience as Christians as well is fear and stubbornness. And we can say, well, God's asking too much of me. I can't do that. I can't take a stand for that. I can't change that. God's asking too much. Well, sorry, no, that won't wash. Because Christ demanded all of you when he, when he called you to follow him. He said, take up your cross and lose your life for his sake. So we can never say to believers that Christ demands too much of us. Because he's very clear, he demands our all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The call of Christ is hard, it is to become an enemy and an alien in this world. It is to become an enemy and a target of Satan. But this call is life, isn't it? And so as Christians, our lives are not about our comfort and our preferences. And our obedience to Christ cannot be in those conditions that we get every area of our lives as we want it. And then we might think about thinking Christ worthy to be obeyed. No, we are at God's disposal. And Paul calls us in Romans 12 to offer our bodies up as living sacrifices to him. To present them in this way daily. To God. And is this just the just the way of the of the super Christian, the mature Christian, the Christian who's on the brink of heaven? No, this is the way of every Christian because Paul says this is our reasonable service. This is our reasonable act of worship. Do we think that as believers we have a right to enjoy the best of this world. That the best this world has to offer, well, we can have that. Do we think that we should have two heavens? One on this earth and then one hereafter? No, there's one heaven, friends, and it's not now. And it will be one of suffering and sorrow now and perhaps even through our, our obedience to him as his life was one of suffering and sorrow in obedience to his Father in order to save us. And so it's to pick up the cross, to die, to go on. And when we do this obey, it shows that our hearts are more on this world rather than the world to come. But as we go on, we will be given the grace and the strength for whatever he calls us to. And the question is, do you trust him? Jonah didn't trust the covenant God. Do you? And what we'll find is that actually Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
compared to remaining fast bound in sin and in darkness and dying in such a state to experience eternal death. We'll find actually, whatever the cost in this world, life and health is found in obedience to the words of God. So friend, in whatever area of your life it affects, stop running and start trusting. And we need daily grace for this. And so we should pray not to be left to ourselves for one moment, not to be given over to our hearts for one moment. We are to obey. obey. Now, their particular obedience for Jonah was to go and to call a wicked city to repentance. And not all are called to preach. But let's remember that we all, as believers, also have an uncomfortable message to say to people. A message that people might not take well and might get offended at because the gospel is offensive. The the message of Christ crucified and risen is offensive to people because people don't want to hear that they're sinners and they're not living as they should be. So we all have this uncomfortable message to take out to the world. And we all have a call to take a stand against sin and to live for righteousness. And Jonah's mistake was that he thought obedience was an option. And we can as well, at times as Christians, fall into that trap of deceit and think, well, I'm saved. It doesn't matter if I sin. I can live as I please. Shall sin abound that grace might abound? Or the more shall we just continue in sin? I just want to say two more things. One further about our our service as Christians. And then one just to conclude. So firstly, another word about Tarshish. A real place believed to be in Spain, somewhere on the Strait of Gibraltar. A faraway place. But also a place of Jonah's imagination. Yes, a real place, an historic place that Jonah was trying to get to. But also a place where Jonah was in dreamland. It was a place where Jonah believed his life and his service to God would be different. A place more agreeable to him. He was called to serve by going to Nineveh. He didn't like that, so he thought, go to Tarshish and the Lord would have to change his plans for him. And if Jonah was going to serve the Lord in another way, it would be there, away from it all, away from from that place he really didn't want to go to. And friends, we can fall into that trap as well of imagining ourselves to be somewhere else and wanting to be somewhere else where our service to God is different, where our lives are different and more agreeable to our own preferences. Do we find ourselves doing that, dreaming, dreaming of different circumstances from what God in his providence has currently called you to? Do you spend your time ever thinking of being elsewhere, where your service to God would be easier, where it would be more convenient, where it would be perhaps more enjoyable, more comfortable, according to your worldly desires? 
Are we always looking over to what we perceive to be the greener grass elsewhere? And because we're always looking ahead, we're never embracing the present reality and saying, well, God has called me to be here and I will bloom and blossom by his grace where I am planted. Friends, if we're going to look ahead to a place, there's only one place we should be looking ahead to, and that's heaven. If you're going to dream about serving God anywhere, make it here where our service will be perfect and unhindered and in the presence of Christ himself in the flesh. Make it there if you're going to dream ahead. But let's not be whiling away the time thinking of being elsewhere because there's a discontentment that's set in with our lots. If God intends to move us on, he will do it. He will make it abundantly clear to us how things are to be different for us and we should seek his will every day, whether it's to move, whether it's to stay. And he will do it according to what he has for us. But let's not grow into that wistful state of wishing we were elsewhere because we're dissatisfied with God's providence. That doesn't mean things can't be hard. We can be called to walk some sorrowful roads, some difficult circumstances that we would never wish upon ourselves. Of course not. But let us pray for grace to bear it and that we would not be those complaining and grumbling because we distrust God's wisdom and where he has us. But to conclude, friends, we've missed out a couple of pages we hopefully come to next week. But just to conclude, let's remember one thing. Jesus said in Matthew 12, Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And as we see Jonah's failings and imperfections in his disobedience here, let us remember that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ a prophet who was not disobedient but a prophet who has fulfilled his father's command. A prophet who has come to where he was sent. He was sent to this world with good news. And he has come to our hearts with that good news. He has come delighting to do his father's will. And he continues to exercise his prophetic ministry today. He has a message that he's given to his church to take to the world, to repent and to believe the good news. And he continues to be our prophet, the one who is with us, who doesn't run from us, but comes where his people is ga- are gathered and who speaks to us through his word by his spirit. And that spiritual blindness and darkness that we fell into in Adam, he comes and he speaks the truth into our hearts and awakens us and brings in light. So friends, we leave Jonah today in a ship, a ship on the Mediterranean Sea heading far away from his mission. But God didn't leave him there. And it was in grace and mercy that God didn't leave Jonah there. And so may that warning of disobedience cause us to repent wherever repentance is needed in our lives. And may it enable us to, by God's grace, to take up that call of obedience. And let us do so now, 
if we continue in disobedience, God might bring us back harshly, as he did with Jonah. Take the easier option, repent. Or there might even be something worse than being brought back harshly, and that's not to be brought back at all. To be left to perish in your sins. May God give none of us over to them, but may we all repent and may we all be striving after that holiness of life in every area. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that what we see in Jonah's life this day would be a wake-up call to us and that we would not continue on the roads contrary to your will. We pray that you would speak to us in each of our lives and that you would search our hearts and show us what further obedience will look like to you. Please, O Lord, continue with us. Bless your word to us this day and please continue to lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us conclude by singing in Psalm 32. Psalm number 32. In the Scottish Psalter we sing the final few verses of the psalm from verse 8 down to verse 11. Psalm 32. In verse 8 God gives us a promise. In verse 9 he calls us to heed that promise and warns us against ignoring it. Verse 8, Psalm 32. I will instruct thee and thee teach the way that thou shalt go. And with mine eye upon thee set, I will direction show. Then be not like the horse or mule which do not understand, whose mouth, lest they come near to thee, a bridle must command. Unto the man that wicked is, his sorrows shall abound. But him that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass round. Ye righteous in the Lord be glad, in him do ye rejoice. All ye that upright are in heart, for joy lift up your voice. So let us sing to God's praise, Psalm 32, verses 8 to 11. Amen. Uh-huh.
of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.